Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music gear. I am your host, Hillary Jones. So last weekend, we played a show that was super fun alongside a brand new band member. Who is this band member, you may ask? Well, let me tell you, it is the heaviest bass cab alive. A uh, little backstory on this. We have access to a fairly large van, which is something I have not had access to in the past for bands recently. Uh, we've been touring in like a RAV4, for example. So there were a, a little, there was a little bit more of a t- uh, space constraint on the situation. So, so now that I'm in a band where we have this larger van, we we're like, oh, well, maybe we could actually just get bigger cabs. That would be a thing. And so. I was, you know, scouring Craigslist and other places like I normally do and happened upon a couple of of, uh, cabs, one that would be potentially perfect for me and one that was potentially perfect for our bass player. So got there, drove through the forest to some unknown location that was only moderately terrifying and then found this guy had uh, some 212 cab that looked like it was maybe like homemade or something but had like speakers from the 70s there were fenders which so I was like whatever fine it was basically free there it was I think $180 for both of these cabs uh and the other one was a Ampeg 412 cab a bass cab I believe it was originally used with like a v4 or something and so I plugged them in they both worked I was like for this price fine we'll just we're gonna chance it and see how it goes so take them home and uh, get them into our practice space with the help of a friend. And, you know, mine kind of sounds like junk. Fine. We're not going to worry about it. But uh, Gus, our bass player, actually sounds great, um, which is awesome. The downfall is that it weighs more than any 412 cabinet I've ever carried in my entire life. I don't understand how it's so heavy. Uh, I there maybe is a dead body in there. I cannot figure it out. He said he looked in there and said there were some like different like eminent speakers in there of some sort. So they're not maybe not the original speakers, but even still, how how are they so heavy? I don't get it. I know that an Ampeg is supposed to be heavy, but it was it was ridiculous. Anyway, uh, perhaps injured our drummer's back. I don't know. Uh, so so that happened. And we also had the first round of meetings um, with music venues in Providence about shared expectations around behavior in their spaces as part of um, Riot RI, or formerly Girls Rock Rhode Island's uh, Changing Our Tune project to prevent gender-based violence in music spaces. So those meetings went really well. Um, I'm very excited to see where that goes. And I'd also love to hear how any of this, that type of work is going in your community. Have you been able to address the problem of gender-based violence in your spaces, in in venues, festivals, anything like that? Have you heard anything that's going really well? I know of a few different projects in different places, but I'd love to hear of anything that's been successful um, where where you're at. So uh, thanks to all who have listened, subscribed, or reviewed uh, the podcast so far. You can follow on Instagram, Facebook, or subscribe on my website at hillarybjones.com slash midrifffpodcast. So... This week's episode, I had a really great time talking to guitarist Ava Mendoza. If you're not familiar with Ava, she is a super shredder. Our bands have played together a few times, and every time I just watch and I wonder what she's going to pull off next. It's wild. So as you'll hear, she's deep in the kind of no-wave free jazz scene, um, and she's currently based out of Brooklyn, where she uh, is always playing with like a bunch of different collaborators. But she also plays solo and with her band, Unnatural Ways. Very excited to, to share with you this uh, interview with Ava. And uh, check it out.
welcome to Midriff. Thanks so much for having me. Nice to be here. Oh, I'm so psyched that you're here. Uh, thanks for, for being a part of this. I wanted to start off with sort of a general just like introduction. I'll let you do a quick introduction for folks sure. who maybe haven't heard your work as much or just want to hear it from you. So your name, your pronouns, and maybe a little bit about your background with music. Sure. My name's Ava Mendoza. I live in uh, in Brooklyn, New York. I'm a guitar player and music writer. I go by she. I have played music um, since I was very young, like since I was was seven. What I do now, I would say, is like all kind of either in the creative rock or the creative jazz world. So like rock that's friends with free jazz and free jazz that's friends with rock are are most of what I do falls into those camps. They're buddies. Yeah, for sure. They always have been <laughs> for me. Yeah, totally. Anything and then, else you Well yeah, I mean just background wise, you know, I started I started by playing classical music when I was really young, like classical guitar. And um I got super serious about it, but at the same time I was listening to a, growing up in in near LA in Southern California, I was listening to this kind of all these like again, rock friends with free jazz and free jazz mm-hmm. friends with rock things like Mike Watt, Nels Klein, yeah. Carla Boslich. Um there were a lot there was really a scene of that stuff at that time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so I learned to play in this real traditional way, but at the same time I was like into stuff like that. And that was what, what I was doing with my friends. Totally. Yeah. I, yeah, it's funny because my uh, partner had mentioned something about, about hearing you on Mike Watts podcast and I hadn't heard that. And I was like, oh, that's rad. Like I didn't realize that in my, in my research, I just missed it. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's rad. Yeah, it was cool. fun to be on there. Mm-hmm. What, what are some things are, that you're like particularly psyched on working on right now? Is there anything, any pr- particular projects or anything? Sure. Um, Right now, I'm sort of in this like self-imposed boot camp because I'm making a solo record and like solo, solo guitar. So that is the big thing that I've been working on for the last few months. And this last year has been a lot of like writing that and doing solo tours just to break the music in. I'm recording it um, this month and next month, and it's coming out on as a joint release by these two label labels. One is um, Astral Spirits out of Austin, Texas, and one relative pitch in Brooklyn. Rad. Yeah. We, I remember you came through and played at uh, Girls Rock Camp. Or yeah, Rock Camp. right. Yeah, yeah. Was that some of that material or was that, is this newer yeah, stuff? I think I played one thing there that's going to be on this record. Everything else is newer. Mm-hmm. Nice. And what's that process been like, like the boot camp when you describe it that way? Uh-huh. Um, it's like a circuit training thing where it's like you're like over here you're like okay here I'm gonna work on interval I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> getting all sweaty and you're doing like a some sort of fitness routine it's in my mind that's what's happening um it it was a mix so the first part of the the boot camp like earlier this year was me writing stuff slowly but then I also asked friends to write for me my good friend Devin Hoff who's a great bass player wrote one song for me and um trevor dunn who's also a great bass player who's in the band mr bungle and phantomas mm-hmm. he wrote another one for me so it was a combination of writing stuff myself and then like learning these kind of hard things that these two people wrote for me so that was stage one of the boot camp and then you know the whole year i was playing playing those things out and breaking them in and touring on them and now the boot camp is i mean it just, it just like basically playing them in my basement over and over again, and making, <laughs> making sure I'm, I'm happy with how they're going to be recorded next week. Awesome. Oh, you're recording next week. Yeah. 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 Oh, rad. Where are you recording? It's, um, it's Martin BC's studio in mm-hmm. Gowanus. So it's called, mm-hmm. it, it has two names, BC studios or, um, seizures palace. Nice. That's super exciting. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. It's been a, been a long time coming. So then besides that's the, the next, like, thing under my own name that's coming out mm-hmm. besides that as far as upcoming stuff i'm excited about um i've been playing with malcolm mooney who's the the lead singer of can was, was the lead singer of can on like the first couple of records mm-hmm. recently and that that band is really fun and we did some recording in september and that'll come out i think sometime this year so that's like in the process of being mixed right now and malcolm's got a residency at Union Pool in Brooklyn in April. I, th- I think it's every Sunday he's going to be doing a show. So I'll be on those. 
And that band is super fun. It's Steve. Yeah, Shelley that sounds from- super fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Steve Shelley, uh, Devin Braja Waldman, he's a sax player. Peter Conheim from Negative Land is playing bass. So yeah, it's super. Uh, Alex Marcello is the keyboard player, and he wrote a lot of the things we're doing. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what's on the horizon, basically. That's on the horizon, and then I, I guess a, another one, other like special, wonderful thing. I'm I'm doing something at this thing called the Monheim Triennale in Germany in mm-hmm. early July. And that's uh that's like a first time festival that's it's never happened before and it's really great people that are running it. So I'm doing three things on that. It'll be one solo thing, one with Unnatural Ways, which is um my like rock trio that you know, mm-hmm. and then one as a duo with um Tatsuya Yoshida, the drummer from Woods. Yeah. Have you considered being more busy? <laughs> I, mean, I think you need like in, in you April need at least. I know. I'm just I'm saying. I feel like, like <laughs> I feel like you always have like just 17 different projects going on. It's very impressive. <laughs> well, thank you. Sometimes I feel like I, I should be more monogamous and pare it down, honestly. Mm-hmm. But that's just that's just the way things always are with me for some reason. But it it it, it seems like it like feeds everything's feeding into each other in some ways, right? Definitely. Definitely. It's like if I if I did only did only one or two of these things, I wouldn't be missing the inspiration that I get from the other things. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. So maybe can we um, scoot into a bit of a conversation about gear? Is that cool? Yeah, let's do it. OK, uh, so I'm going to start way at the beginning. What was your very first experience with gear? I mean, my first guitar was. Um, it's either a quarter size or a half size classical guitar. Nice. Yeah. Little classical guitar. I was seven and that was what I learned to play on. And did you play that for like a while or? Yeah. Yeah. I played that mm-hmm. for a while. And then I don't know, by the time I was like 11, I think people were like, you're too big. You have to get a, a real <laughs> size one. I think what it was, was I started with a quarter size one and then I went to a half size like a few years later. And then by the time yeah. I was like 13 or 14, I was playing a full size. But yeah, just little classical guitar. I didn't get my first electric guitar till I was in high school. And that was like, there was no way my family was going to like support that. Uh-huh. I got this, this like $50, I think it was $50 for the amp and the guitar. It was a PV Raptor. Oh yeah, guitar. classic. <laughs> yeah. And the action was like, I swear to God, the action was like almost an inch high. I, uh-huh. like, I guess this is just how electric guitar is. You have to struggle really hard. <laughs> yes. That's so funny because I had almost the opposite experience where like uh-huh. my 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 dad had these two guitars that had just were around forever and he like never played them. They just had were in the world. But I was like, what are these for? I've he's never barely almost ever played them. Uh and one of them was a Goya classical that had yeah. somebody had put steel strings on it. No. But I didn't but I didn't know that that was wrong and so I was like wow you know acoustic guitars are terrible why do people play these things and then not till like years later was I was like oh I see right <laughs> yeah yeah I, I see yeah because I, I play I tried it I was like everybody's like you got to start with acoustic and I was like ah this seems not great it seemed uh, really hard. yeah yeah and then I switched over to, to I was like how about I play this electric that seems better yeah that's so funny but were you were you like super like did you feel like after playing with the the electric did it really did it change how you played or anything were you like oh yeah, I can do well, different things with I this I just wanted I wanted to sit there and make feedback you know sure. I was just so excited to like turn the amp on and drone if I got a little game going or whatever yeah but I was like I guess it just has really high action and it's uncomfortable but I just it makes these you know cooler sounds so that was kind of what what I was all about I mean eventually I think I had a friend sort of help me set it up and then years later I got just a real electric guitar mm-hmm. you know that you didn't have to struggle with I was just so happy to have to get into some kind of sound world at that point right yeah 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 just sit there and like feel feel the sound coming at you and as opposed to going away from you almost yeah yeah and, and mm-hmm. behind the bridge stuff and any kind mm-hmm. of like like doing mean things to the body kind of stuff I was just like fascinated with all of that totally yeah. Uh, okay. So we're going to scoot ahead then. I, I want to talk yeah. a little bit about your setup now. I know this is a question you get asked about a lot, so <laughs> feel, free to, feel free to respond to it however you want. Like, I feel like you could go into 
like what is a general setup that you usually use if you're like playing with different people or if you want to talk about a, like one specifically with a natural ways or whatever or solo, right. however you want to do it um well i have two guitars that i go back and forth between and they're one i've had for like 10 years and that's a um a fender jaguar it's a reissue that i swapped out the pickups in and that that's called old whitey it's a white guitar so that's kind of like been my go-to for a long time and then two years ago i was able to have uh this guitar custom made for me by a guy named rob raddick he's out he's out of brooklyn he's really great but um that's like it's based on a like jaguar it's a jaguar jazzmaster kind of offset body thing mm -hmm. a little smaller than a um a traditional one and then the, the neck is longer than a jazzmaster so like mm. quite a bit longer than a jaguar and the idea was to give me better sustain um, oh cool like I think it a Jaguar is like 24 scale, I believe, and and this is 25 and a half. Right. Um, that's substantial. Yeah. And I think yeah. a Jazzmaster, I want to say a Jazzmaster is like 25 and a quarter or something. The the guitar I had built is just mm. a hair longer than a Jazzmaster. Cool. Cool. Uh, Do you does it have more sustain? Does it actually does yeah, that make a difference? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um it also yeah, it also just has a real different tone. Like it has a thinner tone than the than the Jaguar. The Jaguar has kind of like this fat, bratty meatiness to uh -huh. it. And the new one is more um, better sustained, but it's like better suited for for almost like more metal type things because it has oh. that thinner tone. It'll yeah. cut through anything, but it's never going to sound like fat. Right, right. But yeah, so I use them both for, for different things and mostly the traditional the jag jag is like for anything that needs more clean tone yeah so like solo stuff or if i'm playing more kind of friends with jazz things <laughs> with people that like i have to get a pretty clean tone that's the one i'll use mm -hmm. um and then the the custom made which is green i just call it green um <laughs> <laughs> it, I use that for for more like stuff where I'm overdriven or distorted all the time. So like for unnatural ways or with with Malcolm, you know, anything that that's more a little heavier. Mm -hmm. Like do the pickups because I you you said you switched out the pickups in the in your Jaguar is yeah is that has that has that helped with the or changed the meatiness of that dramatically? I swapped out the neck pickup with a a Seymour Duncan Seth Lover humbucker. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Okay. So the the thing from the get go that is special pickup wise is this is a double humbucker Jaguar, mm. which they make the the reissues with right HH now. So I wanted that. Like I wanted that instead of the traditional Jaguar pickups, just for like more like less noise, more control kind of thing. So I got I swapped out the neck, and what I put in there, this Seth Lover is like. It's just a real nice sounding clean pickup. Yeah. Basically. Because without that, I just couldn't get a decent clean tone out of the guitar at all. So I put that in there. And then I also have like a what's it called? Um the two pickups can be in series or in parallel. Mm -hmm. So meaning like they can if they're parallel, they're you can have Same them both way. on. Yeah, they're well, they're two separate humbuckers. If you right, have them right, right. parallel. And then if you have them series, they're one giant humbucker kind of thing. This is yeah. my this is my not guitar luthiers, you know, uh, way of explaining this. But I think that's essentially it. Like they're yep. they're functioning as one large magnet together if they're in series. So I have it on in series almost all the time, and that makes this really fat, rich sound. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you tend to keep it? You tend to keep it in that position most of the time. Then I do. I do yeah. with this guitar. Once in a while, I'll use just the neck pickup. But I kind of like what I love about it is its chunkiness. So I kind of mm -hmm. have the series thing on all the time. Yeah, I feel like sometimes I have this thing with the sound where I'm like, oh, but this is the best sound. Why would I switch it to a different sound? I get like that, too. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's a bad way to be. It's like you don't just because you have all the options doesn't mean you you need to be switching all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's good to be able to have dynamics, obviously. But, you know, yeah. sometimes things just work the way you want them to. For sure. So I want to I want to talk a little bit about your experience with gender in yeah. um, in music and music gear spaces and that kind of thing. I'm wondering if you've like noticed. And I mean, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to hear more about your general thoughts around this. I did. I did yeah. hear you talking a little bit about on another podcast. You were talking about Brooklyn being a bit of a bubble with regard to gender and like maybe yeah. Oakland as well. Uh, and so like maybe some of the experiences that have that you've had there maybe aren't the same as maybe when you're on tour or things like that. So I'm a. 
I mean, I'm a cis woman and that's mm -hmm. where all this is coming from. I guess I, I, I would say I was lucky for like the first kind of half of my life playing music um, because it, I did play in a lot of situations that were real mixed, mm -hmm. girls, and girls and boys, men and women. Mm -hmm. um, and things were kind of nice. Like, it's not like everything was perfect all the time and there were no problems, but the problems that were there because it was real mixed, it like, I didn't see them as gendered. What I did see as gendered from early on was walking into the guitar store and opening my mm. mouth. So <laughs> <laughs> like that. Why did you open your mouth? No, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that was a very clear place where I was like, holy shit, these are not the largely pretty respectful guys that I'm used to playing with these are like condescending dicks some of the time not all the mm -hmm. time not all the time but but you know but a high proportion so yeah I mean that I would just say the the music shop was kind of like the the big frontier when it came to all <laughs> all that stuff and it yeah I think I think for a lot of people that's the case yeah I think that's a not not a totally abnormal situation but I think that you know that if you're able to self-select a bit as far as like the musicians that you're playing with and self-selecting the shows That's you're the playing. Thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I always played kind of like lefty music for lack, lack of a better word. You know, it was like mm -hmm. things coming out of punk rock and, and weird jazz. It wasn't, it wasn't people that were going to like say overtly sexist things. They might think them or they might, they might do subtle stuff, but it wasn't going to be like overtly saying stuff. Yeah, you you might still experience it, but it's a much much more subtle. It's like much even, more subtle. Yeah, but even yeah. still, it's like yeah. I feel like sometimes when you walk into spaces like that, even if it's a like a a venue that's maybe a little bit different than they're used to playing, it's almost like <laughs> walking into a, a different uh, universe or something where you're right. you're experiencing that more. Yeah, for sure. I guess I got used to to like having to look out for guys just being condescending at the guitar shop. But it, and, it, and I've gotten better at like cutting it off over the years, but it's definitely like it's a skill you have to work on and it's still annoying. Yeah. So what so what kind of things were you doing or like what kind of things were people saying when this was happening? I mean, I had like this was maybe 10 years ago or something. I went to Guitar Center and I bought an Evo. I had had an Evo and it broke. So I went and bought another one. And the guy at the counter is like, oh, yeah, these are cool. Do you know what these are? Um, you like put them on the strings and they vibrate the strings like a bow. And I was like, yeah, I know. I had one before and it broke, so I'm just replacing it. And he's like, you got to be careful to get the grooves right on the strings. Next to the string, you're trying to vibrate. Otherwise, it doesn't work. You got to really watch out. And I'm like, I know, because it works using a magnetic field and you have to put the magnet right over the string you're bowing. I know. And he's like, so if you have any trouble with it or you can't figure it out, just feel free to call the store and ask for me. My name is whatever. And I'm like, okay, thank you. Like, I, I won't do that because I know how to use it. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and then I go home, like a couple days later, I get a call from him and <laughs> Guitar Center, you have to like put your number in the computer, mm -hmm. put your address in and stuff. So I get a call and he's like, hey, this is whatever his name was, Ed. This is Ed from Guitar Center. Just checking to see how you're doing with that Evo. Do you have any questions or problems? And I'm like, nope, it works perfectly just like the last one I had. Goodbye. That's kind of wild that they called. Well, okay. Then two days later, he calls again. And this one goes to voicemail. I like recognize the number. And I was like, oh, hard pass on that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it goes to voicemail. Uh, check and see how that Evo is working for you. If you need any advice on how to use it, just give a call. So two days later, he calls again. And this time I pick up and I'm like, Hey, I think I told you last week that Evo's working fine. There's no reason to keep calling me. You know, I don't think your store wants you calling customers all the time for no reason. And he, you know, he got worried and was like, oh, oh, sorry. I was just trying to be helpful and make sure you knew how to use it. And I was like, right, but I told you I do. So, okay, bye. And, you know, at that point he stopped calling. But yeah, it was just like being called over and over again with sort of the, um, the pretense that like, oh, you don't know, don't know how to use this thing and I'm going to help you. Oh, let uh -huh. me help you. Oh, let me help you. Oh, let me help you. Even though you said from the beginning, like you're aware how to use this thing. Th yeah, that was a funny one. That's very, that is wild. Yeah. He, in, in his only defense, I actually, I told this story to a friend of mine who used to work at Guitar Center and she mm -hmm. was like, you know, they, they sometimes make employees call, like do a follow-up call a couple of days later. 
to uh, to check in that their product's working, mm-hmm. which like, yeah, sure, fine. But this was like four follow up calls. No, yeah, I can see one and, and, and one might even be like, that's actually maybe cool that they're checking. Totally. But but four seems like that's not great. <laughs> it was pushing it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. There's other ones with amp repair. Sometimes I'll have I'll have trouble. I mean, I like learning about amps and I, I know I'm sort of like literate, but I'm by no means an amp repair person. So you go mm-hmm. in and, you, you know, hope that they're being honest with you. Like going to get a car repaired kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah or going to the veterinarian or something. Right. Like, I hope you're telling me the truth. I don't know what's wrong with Godzilla. <laughs> right. Oh, Godzilla. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because like they're kind of in the power, they have the power, whoever it is, like they have the power yeah. in that situation because they have more, the more information and so, you know, they're the professionals. It's true, so as like, they should, yeah. as they should. But so I went to a, I went to an amp guy a few years ago here in Brooklyn and he was highly recommended to me by like two, two people I trusted. And I brought my twin to him, my fender twin. Mm-hmm. And it, it was making like, you know, like a farty, buzzy tone, like a tube was going. So I mm-hmm. thought, that's probably what it is. Brought it to this guy. Um, I, I read reviews of him online before and people were like glowing about him. So I brought him, brought it in, dropped it off. And he called me that night with like the diagnosis. And it was, yeah, that it was a preamp tube issue mm-hmm. and that he'd swapped it out with, you know, with new tested tubes. So I was like, oh, okay, great. Can I ask what brand of tubes you used? And he's like, 12VX7s. And so... <laughs> <laughs> So 12AX7 is like the not type. Not brand. Of, yeah, it's not a brand. Yeah. It's the type of preamp tube. I mean, it's what uh, probably people listening know these things. But yeah, it's like saying like, what brand of car is that? And somebody's like, it's a sedan. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm asking if it's like a Toyota Corolla or whatever. So I, I said, oh, okay. But what brand of 12AX7 did you use? And he's like, so 12AX7s are the preamp tubes. Those are what give you your tone. Your power tubes are what give you your power. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, what I'm asking is what <laughs> brand of preamp tube, what brand of 12AX7 did you use? And he's like not listening at this point. He's like, I didn't, I didn't know I was going to have to give a lesson. I should charge you extra. Oh, man. So I was like, man, all I'm asking is a brand. I know what preamp tubes are and I know what power tubes are. I don't need a lesson and I don't know what the problem is. And so then he, he like paused for a minute and was like, well, I can, I don't have that information in front of me. Like I can look it up for me. I can look it up if you want me to. And I was like, that's fine. Like, yeah, uh, you can give me a call or I can just talk to you about it when I come in. That's fine. But so he, you know, basically in retrospect, he got flustered because he didn't have the brand in front of him, which is mm-hmm. fine. And then his reaction was to be like, I didn't know I had to give a lesson. I should be charging you extra. <laughs> yeah yeah just stupid defensive reaction but then he was nice and he was he was like i'm sorry if i was grumpy on the phone the other night i was in a bad mood so i was like yep you were thanks for the apology and then you know paid him took the amp home Uh, i tested it in the shop actually i tested the amp in the shop took the amp home get home turned on the reverb which i had made the mistake of not testing in the Uh. the shop and that was just like this insane buzz. So I had to call him and be like, hey, this, you know, did you swap out the reverb? And he's like, yes, I did. And he hadn't, he hadn't mentioned that he swapped that tube out uh-huh. um, before. And I, my lesson that I took away from this was you should sit there and read the receipt every single time and like test out every single thing they did. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I didn't go over the receipt. I didn't see that he swapped this thing out. So I didn't check the reverb. Anyway, he had swapped it out and he was buzzing to high hell. So he's like, bring it back in and I'll fix it for free. And I'm like, yeah, you will. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, he fixed it for free and stuff, but I still had to, it's New York. I don't have a car. I had to pay for a card there and back. And it just, he was rude on the phone and then he didn't do a good job. So I was like, okay, not, not going to use this person ever again. But yeah, the lesson, the lessons I took away were don't use this person. And also lesson number two, like make sure you test out every single thing that they swapped out, even if they didn't mention they swapped it out. Right. Right. Because sometimes people, I feel like they swap stuff out and they don't tell you. And then the tone totally changes. And you're like, why is that? Yeah. 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 I mean, so I guess it would be nice if they just told you. But yeah, sitting there and looking at the receipt while you're in the stores Mm -hmm. is a good idea. 
Mm-hmm. As far as like when when playing shows, like playing live, right. is anything right. specific come up that you like yeah, had I mean, issues with? I mean, I guess in the scenes that I'm in, and because I live in the cities that I live in that are lefty progressive cities, I was in Oakland, and then I'm, you know, in Brooklyn. It's never going to be over, um, or very rarely is it going to be over. It's on any kind of like discrimination is on like a subtle level. And that makes it hard to to know if you're tripping or to know to know exactly how to call it out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely come across stuff here, and it's more like I would say Brooklyn more than the Bay Area in general has sort of like a, a conservative, a more conservative attitude attitude about gender, like mm-hmm. more men are from mars and women are from venus and <laughs> what there's something in between like what uh, kind of shit um yeah. so and there's just more homophobia and transphobia floating around that mm-hmm. might not be like super overt but you can feel it so I've, i mean i've toured with guys recently who were like oh david bowie he looks like a freak you know what's he wearing mm-hmm. and it's like man you're it's 20 then it was 2019 you live in a progressive city we're playing together so you're pretty dedicated to playing like weird progressive music and you're still grappling with what david bowie looked like 50 years ago how does that work like how are why are you doing this to yourself so stuff like that or like i mean i had a guy be like you know there's some older queer guys in our scene and Mm -hmm. and a guy i was touring with was like oh yeah those guys used to have cross-dressing parties in the 90s super weird i heard all kinds of weird shit about them and I'm like, hey, that party sounds like a great time to me. You know, sign me up. Like, what? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> really? Um, so there, you know, there's stuff that comes up and it's never like, yeah, it's, these things aren't against me. They're just like more general homophobia and yeah, kind of guy on guy homophobia um, comes up right. most. Well, right. So like to police masculinity or. Yeah. And I'll, I'll always say something, but it's like, I can't. I can't control people and I I make almost all my living from playing mm-hmm. now. So it's like, I just end up being in bands and on tour with people that have these opinions and I'm not going to be able to police everything. You know, where I am in control is in my own band. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I totally don't make it a point not to play with people that, that have sort of those ideas. Yeah. It's hard when you're in a situation where it's like you, you have this like financial thing where you're like like I have to interact with these people I have to make this work yeah and I mean that could be it could be a bandmate it could be a venue it could be whatever you know it's like how do you know when to step in or not step in and like yeah it's all real yeah totally Mm -hmm. I mean and the thing the thing is like I really believe in discourse and in in diversity Mm -hmm. and I don't I think no matter what your identity is and your politics are you're you're rarely going to be in a group where everyone 100% agrees with you or understands where you're coming from identity wise and politically. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. And that's why I believe in discourse. So you can talk things out sort of without, without it being a, you know, like a Trump shouting match. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah. And I don't, I don't want to feel like I just have to insulate myself from people that have a different viewpoint from me. So I don't always have to play with people that see gender as this fluid thing that I do, although I'm happy when I do. Yeah, I mean, I just there's no way I'm going to make my living if I try to play with people that only have those same ideas I do. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because I think there's some people who are like super like, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to play with these people. And then there's like, but if those people are never interacting with people who have different beliefs than them, are their beliefs ever going to change? Yeah, it's it's, it's like, yeah, hard. to. That's the thing is just 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 a hard boycott or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I think that's the right thing to do. And the thing is, I will always say something, you know, yeah. I might, I might say, say it serious or I might make a joke out of it and just sort of poke fun at the person for being like a dinosaur. <laughs> but um, I will, I will, I make a point to always say something. Yeah. Yeah. Have you noticed a difference in the more like free jazz space versus like more traditional rock or like, I guess, jazz versus rock versus whatever, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, that's a good question. I think the jazz scene is maybe just more like polite it's less extroverted and like less at least the 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 one that i'm involved in Mm -hmm. it's less extroverted and like aggressive than the rock scene so it's like if 
if and when things do happen in that scene, it's on this like very, 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 very subtle level where like anybody would be horrified if you said that they were homophobic or they were sexist because they don't mm. think of themselves that way. But like they're still kind of doing stuff that is. Yeah, I wonder if in the in the rock scene is sometimes there's like this like, well, it's good to be offensive kind of. Yeah, sure. And that that. Yeah, it makes it easier to address it if something comes up, if somebody's just being more straightforward about their discrimination. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, it's hard to say. I guess I kind of prefer that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I (laughs) feel like you can actually talk about it. Right. You can have a conversation instead of like somebody just feeling super awkward and making a weird comment and then you don't know what to do with it because it's so subtle. Yeah, instead of it being on this like micro subtle level. Right. Yeah. The in the other podcast that I that where you're talking about going on tour i think and playing a large stadium and there was the, oh, yeah. oh you, you were playing with like the violent femmes or something i was opening for the violent Femmes, and yeah sat, sat in with them yeah and you were saying that that the comments that you were getting were mostly from women yeah can you explain that story real quick yeah so i um i did a couple tours where i was opening solo for the violent femmes like uh two years ago and three years ago in the summertime and they were like i think one was two weeks one was three weeks so it's stadiums you know what one was like one was opening for the violent femmes and echo and the bunnymen together so that was like this extremely incongruous bill and it it was for like i kind of love how weird that is (laughs) it was so weird it was so weird i mean in my my mind i'm like well actually you playing actually sort of ties it in in my head a little bit like that kind of makes sense i know what you mean i know what you mean yeah i'm somewhere in between like like alienated goth kid and like like folk punk kid (laughs) Anyway, so the, those were were obviously a really different audience and a much bigger audience than than anything I normally do on my own. And it was great. I mean, I, it was a total thrill. Women would come up to me afterwards all the time, every night, if I went by the merch booth or just walked around and just say, oh, my God, it's so good to see a woman shred, blah, 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 blah. It's, you know, you go, girl, you go, girl. And But then they would, like, stand up and start screaming during my set, too, in, an, in a supportive way. But, yeah, just like, you go, girl doing it all by yourself and like saying these things where they were just like they were kind of like where's the man like Mm -hmm. this is amazing it's so funny because it's like hearing that after a set it's like I just played all this music I worked on really hard and and when people are like you're a woman I'm like cool (laughs) did you hear the music because that was the point and I think they did but the thing that was more hit home more that they could relate to more was that it was a woman on stage doing things by herself and that just like speaks to to where we're at as a country because I don't get it's rare I get that reaction if I'm in a big city you know it's like sometimes girls will be like yeah it's great to see another woman tread but it's not the dominant reaction I get and um it really was once I got into the midwest and just like playing playing to a larger crowd that's like into into more mainstream music than I play that was really what women felt. So that was an eye opener that like, yeah, I live in a bubble where like, I feel like I'm constantly surrounded by women that are super badass at what they do. Mm-hmm. But these women definitely do not. And they're like shocked to see a woman with any kind of power. Yeah. The twofold things I was thinking about when I heard that is like both the issues of representation, kind of like you're talking about, like they're obviously not seeing that, but then also just an internalized, like, are women supposed to be doing this or not? Yeah. I've noticed when we played like real small towns that that's something like people are like, well, I've never seen, I've never seen women playing music before. Sure. Definitely a similar kind of thing. It's like kind of a sad thing, but also you're like, okay, well, glad that I'm here. (laughs) Right. Right. It's a funny thing to have people notice that above anything else about the music, but then it's super sincere. And I guess I feel like I'm doing a good thing by, by being there and representing. So it just like, yeah, it's a little hard to take it as a compliment, but it it is and it's sincere. Right, right, because it is totally not about something that's not at all related. Well, not 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 at all related to the music, because obviously, if you were up there playing poorly, probably they wouldn't have the same response. But sure. Let's see. Can you talk a little bit about your best experience buying gear? What made it really good? Oh wow, best experience. Well, I. I guess it's a little different from buying gear, but this guitar that I had made for me was mm-hmm. uh, very pleasant. And Rob Raddick, who made it, was was real nice to work with. Yeah, I mean, it just, I, I knew basically what I wanted, but there was like a feedback loop that, that had, had to happen as it was getting worked on. And 
you know, things changed and there were some critiques and, and everything. And he was like really great and open mm-hmm. about, about all of that and built me a guitar that I love. So that was a nice one. Awesome. Yeah. So like the communication and responsiveness kind of. That was there. Yeah. yeah. And he, he had a lot of helpful suggestions and like when things had to sort of adapt, he was, he was like open. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Good ones. Let me think. I mean, they're, they're, I know you said on the, um, on the sheet that you sent out before you were yeah. asking about any companies or stores that do a good job at, at supporting women and trans folks. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So Rob was real good. There's a place called Brooklyn Luthery in Brooklyn, and that's mm-hmm. a woman run guitar shop. And they're like for acoustic string instruments in general, like violins, cellos, upright basses, acoustic guitars. They're real good and easy to communicate with. Nice. That's great. Is there anything like gear related that you've learned that you feel like super proud of? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's proud necessarily because it's a really funny, simple thing, but but it's it's just saved me. I used to break strings on old whitey, my Jaguar and on other guitars. Then somebody told me, Fred Frith told me one time, I saw him changing a string and he was winding it and winding it and winding it and winding it. And I was like, what are you doing? And he was like, I, the more you wind it around the peg, the less time, the less it breaks. I haven't broken strings in years. And I was like, really, huh? Why is that? And he was like, I have no idea, but it works. So I tried it and I stopped breaking strings and I haven't in years. Huh. Um, yeah. I have so never heard that. Yeah. It, I mean, he's the only person that's ever said that to me and I, I immediately tried it and it really, really worked. And then I did one time untry it. Like, um, I, so I have locking tuners on, on both guitars. Mm-hmm. And at one point somebody like a repair person saw me putting a string on and was like, you know, if you have locking tuners, you're just supposed to thread it through and then tune it up. Like you're not supposed to wind it so many times. It defeats the purpose of the locking tuner, which is, which is true. I mean that every by the book locking tuner thing, I think that's, that's what you're told. Like Mm -hmm. thread it through, you don't really leave slack and then just wind it up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so I thought, well, um, yeah, could I, could I stay in tune better if I go back to, not leaving so much slack and winding it so much and when I started doing that like giving all the extra slack it was before I had locking tuners so maybe Mm. this would make a difference so I tried it and like went on a tour and the first gig of the tour at soundcheck I broke a string (laughs) I I hadn't broken a string in years you know just from like a new set so I was like okay fuck that and like went right back to winding it all the way and yeah I haven't had a problem since all right that's a hot tip Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> That's one. I guess I'm proud. But yeah, I, I don't know why that is, but it really has worked. Awesome. I'm, I'm going to, I got some strings yesterday. I'm going to try it. I'll report yeah. back. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I know also like you have a, you use looping a fair amount, right? Yeah. Do you have thoughts on like, as far as like getting into looping and what that is or is not about for you? Yeah, sure. I use a line six DL4 mm-hmm. as a looper and I I used to do, I guess, more stuff where it was a traditional loop, like you lay down sort of a bass part for yourself and you play higher things over it. And I just don't do that anymore. I mean, I I would do that solo, I guess, as a way to sort of like open things up for myself. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just stopped doing it. One, so many people were doing it and doing it real well and like all these different layers that were super dialed in and like meticulous. And I was like, I'm going to do that. That's really like an instrument on its own. So I, I really went, went away from that. I guess what I would consider sort of more traditional, like mm-hmm. loop a groove and, and play over it kind of thing. And now I really use looping as like more of a texture thing or yeah, textural or sort of like if I'm in the middle of a solo, like loop something that's, that's going to be a little off kilter from, mm-hmm. from everything else that I'm playing and like asymmetrical. So I, yeah, I guess I use it in a, in a more, more like abstract way now. Do you, have you always used a DL4? I think, I mean, for, I think the first way I started looping was, was like a, just a boss, um, I don't know, some boss delay pedal, like a DD6 or something that has like. That has like the short loop function. Yeah, it has like that old function and you get whatever, five or 10 seconds or something. So that was where I first did it. And then I got into the DL4 and I'm just, I'm so used to it now. That is really like, that is a pedal that 
I can't get away from no matter how hard I try, just because what it does as a looper is so specific and I'm so like, so adapted to it at this mm-hmm. point. Like it, yeah. it, it has all its regular delays and those are great. But then the loop function, you can reverse things, you can put things in half time and you can put things in double time. And I don't know another one that sounds good mm-hmm. that can do those same things. Like even the boomerang, for example, is like way more sophisticated, but it, I forget which one it can't do, but at least the like, the one that's a reasonable size, like not huge, it can't do all of those things. So I like, yep. I've been stuck with the deal for forever. Yeah. I've never actually tried a boomerang before. Uh, I'm fascinated by them, but yeah. I had a student who had one and he mm-hmm. like brought it into a couple lessons and we had like boomerang deal for shootouts. And uh, <laughs> it sounds great. I mean, it's way more it's really way more sophisticated, but it didn't have like, I think you couldn't maybe like do double time anyway. So I don't, my, my like big gear wishes, I wish somebody would make something that has those functions, but is smaller than a deal for it. Cause it's mm. so big. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Has yours been good? Has it fallen? Has it like, I feel like sometimes when people travel with them, they have issues. Yeah. It, I mean, it, the switches have issues, um, mm-hmm. like pretty regularly and those you can swap out. The other thing that happens is like the, the, um, something will happen with the power input on it where it just stops taking power. And that's happened on a few of mine. It's not a hard repair, but it's not something you want to have happen in the middle of the tool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, they're not the most roadworthy. Yeah. I feel like people I know that have them are like, I've got three of them, one just in case. I I mean, people who have them swear by them. I had one for a while. It was like my first loop pedal that I ever had. And I was just like, I never took the time to really learn it and ended up selling it. But they're, they're so cool. No, Um, they're great. They're great. I mean, they're, and the the delays are like, they don't sound like any other delay. So I use those Mm -hmm. a lot too. Mm -hmm. Cool. So what's your, what's your favorite show story of all time? Oh my God. Hillary, hang on. What? Jeez. I like to ask the tough questions, you know? Yeah. Well, I just, I don't know if they're stories, but just like the, the good ones in the last, last couple of years. Well, that, that one with Malcolm Mooney was really fun. That was at mm-hmm. Union Pool in Brooklyn. You know, we had two days of rehearsal and the band had never played together before. I'd never played with Malcolm, period. It was kind of people that had, had all been in different bands with him before. So Steve Shelley, Daniel Moreno, Alex Marcello, Peter Conheim, and Devin Braja Waldman. Mm-hmm. And we just got things together over a couple of days in rehearsal and, and played this show. And it just went off that much better than expected. And like way more, we, we played a bunch of old can songs, but like mm-hmm. also, um, you know, that ended up improvising more than we expected to, I think, and just like mm-hmm. gelling more as a band than we expected. I feel like that's like just a nice treat. You're like, yeah, I don't know how this is going to go. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, it could have yeah. gone either way. It was low, kind of low prep. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to say under rehearsed, but like everybody would have felt more comfy if we had had a few more rehearsals. But it just, yeah, came together real well. Mm-hmm. Nice. So if you were talking to someone either like at a venue, someone who runs a venue or someone someone who like runs a music shop or a like a gear company or something like that and they and they asked you like how can we make how can I make this experience better for like cis women trans folks gender expansive folks what would you say huh okay that's a good one well I I mean I guess the main thing that happens with me is if I if I've researched something and I know what I want when I'm going in like I want it to be believed that I know what I want. And it, I like talking about gear and I like talking shop with people. That's one thing to like sit there and, and you can talk about this or that pedal and like what's what's hot and new or what, you know, just what you're into, that's fine. But like, I'll have the experience often where people just don't believe that I know what I wanna get. So there, you know, it's partly a salesman thing that, that is maybe just like, like equal opportunity asshole salesman where they're, you know, mm-hmm. trying to push whatever new product on you, but it can also be really gendered, I think. So it, yeah, if I say like, I'm looking for this specific thing and then like 10 minutes of suggestions of this other thing that I have no interest in ensue, like that doesn't make my experience there good. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's hard. I think what you're saying too is like, maybe this person is a jerk to everyone, but it's like, yeah, you don't know. You're you're like equal opportunity asshole or or like just like sexist dick. 
Which one is it? Right. Pick your poison. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, And I think it's, yeah, it's hard because I think you don't want to have to interpret it that way, but it's because you've had those other experiences sort of like, it's like other people being a jerk have made me now think that you might be a jerk and you don't want it to be that way. But that's unfortunately what might be happening. Yeah. And it's easy to feel like, am I being paranoid when I walk into right. the store now? I don't want to just go in with a chip on my shoulder and like invite conflict. But I also don't want to have to put up with with this kind of stuff. No, I, I prefer that you just start walking into uh, music stores and like flipping over tables and knocking displays totally. down. I've totally done that. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> just knock I mean, everything over. My like my way of dealing with it usually is just to be super like well researched when I go in there, which which is a good thing to be in general if you're going to buy things and not waste your money and your time. It's good for more than one reason but my thing is like you know to know exactly while i'm why i'm getting something when i walk in one time i went in and i was like i want a boss gd6 delay pedal and Mm -hmm. you know then like the guys kept insisting i had to try the gd7 and it just sounded so much better Mm -hmm. and and like wouldn't hear that i was like no dude i really want this one thing that i'm sure that i want so it's like then if i know why i want the DD6, I can say, I just love the hold function and it works mm-hmm. you know, way easier than the DD7 and it's one touch to start it and to stop it. And the DD7 takes two touches to stop whatever, you know, is particular about the gear that, you know, mm-hmm. that's what you can bring up to sort of shut this thing down. Right. Yeah. I've heard some people who are like, I actually just don't go into stores anymore. I just I buy know. everything online. And it's like, it's a bummer that that has to be, or that some people are like, that's the solution to this problem. I guess it's a bummer it's a bummer because it's like um, it is nice you know like if you're a person that likes to talk about gear it is nice to be able to like go into a space and have a conversation about it but yeah yes I do think it's gotten better in the last uh whatever 20 years since I've been going to stores like it's there's way less of a like hey do you know power chords honey like Mm -hmm. than there used to be but I also I also live in different cities Mm -hmm. I don't live in like you know small town southern California anymore right are there any questions that that you think I have missed? I guess one other just nerd thing, one trick that I learned a little later that I wish I'd known earlier, guitar wise, is putting <laughs> it's putting graphite on the strings, mm. like at the nut and the bridge, to help mm-hmm. stay in tune. Like that, that's something that's really helped me if I'm going to use a tremolo bar a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, to, I don't know what the science is exactly, but it like kind of lubes up where the strings lay at the bridge or the nut and it really helps with tuning i feel like i've seen people do this not for a long time i'm trying to remember and so is it like a thing where you're like changing the strings and you like how does it work exactly i'm trying to remember yeah, if you get like an electric pencil when you're you know that's it has a real fine tip when you're changing the strings you can sort of put graphite in there and then even i'll like if i'm about to play a show where i know i'm going to use a whammy a lot i'll just yeah. put it on you know, on top of the strings and under. Right okay, I guess that's like under the bridge and the nut, kind of, or yeah, just or like in the saddles the string, in the string, like saddle. Yeah. Okay. So many hot tips. Wind <laughs> <laughs> the string and use your electric pencil. Look at that. So I guess um, as we're closing up here, um, are there is there anyone else that you think that I should interview? For drums, I would say uh, there's this band Shell Shag. Oh yeah. I played with them recently and I'm playing a show with them next week again. Mm-hmm. And the, the drummer woman from that, Jen Shagawet, is what mm-hmm. she goes by. Uh, she's super awesome and funny and would be a good one. Awesome. And then, let's see, there is, she plays viola with a ton of effects. Mm. And, yeah. And she has those super dialed in. Jessica Pavone. Cool. Yeah. Guitar wise, there's two that come to mind. Um, mm-hmm. Jessica Ackerley mm-hmm. is a guitar player here in Brooklyn. And then Sally Gates also. Cool. Perfect. That's awesome. All right. So as we're finishing up here, I'd love to have a way for folks to stay in contact with you. Is there a way that that, that they can stay in contact, hear more from you? Yeah. So the easiest way is my email, which is ava.mendoza at gmail.com. And that's, you can just drop me a line there. Or um, if you write and say, you just want to be on my mailing list, I'll throw you on there. And then I'm on 
what am I on? I'm on Instasham and <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> I'm not, I don't really do Twitter, but yeah, Instagram and Facebook, I'm, I'm on there. And then my website is usually kind of up to date, not right now, but in general it is. And that's just avamendosamusic.com. Nice. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for, uh, for being on Midriff and super psyched to hear more from you musically in the future. Yeah, likewise. Cool. Thanks. Well, take care. Bye. Man, Eva is so rad. So glad to get to have such an awesome conversation with her. And you can check out all of her contact info in the show notes. So I have a listener question that is related to something that Ava mentioned. The question is, what do you do when someone says something terrible and sexist or otherwise offensive to you? That is a fine question. Uh, And often, if you're a person who's in an oppressed group and experience comments like this, often it can feel like, you know, that meme where the woman is calculating math formulas in her head. There's just like so many different issues to consider and your brain's just like boop, 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 trying to figure it out. Uh, so while while I'm focusing a lot of this podcast on figuring out ways to get the industry itself to change instead of putting the onus or the responsibility on the people who are experiencing the offensive behavior, um, this is a real thing. And many of us have had to deal with it, you know, many, many times. And it's very easy to think of something while you're like tossing and turning, trying to fall asleep or in the shower or something but I just wanted to, you know, share out some of the things to consider when figuring out how to respond to something like this. So first of all is what is their motivation for making the comment? Are they just somebody who's super tone deaf and they have no idea what they just said, like really just don't know that they said something offensive at all? That person is coming from a different place than, say, someone who is saying something purposefully to rile you up and make you uncomfortable, right? Like that's actually a power play. That's a very different situation than somebody who just doesn't know. And then that's also very different from someone who, say, for example, trying to say it with the purpose of impressing their buddies or like other coworkers or whoever else might be around. All those three people are coming from different places. So you need to consider that. You also consider what's your goal with this? Like, do you just want to shut them up as fast as possible and move on with your day so you don't have to think about it? Do you want to like actually get them to change their mind in some way or stop the behavior in the future? Uh, Or are you like thinking about making sure that they have some sort of real job or otherwise like professional or social consequences for the behavior? So those are some other things to think about. So also, what is the power dynamic in this situation? That's real. Like you have to consider, is this person your boss? Do they have access to spaces that you need to have access to? If so, it might not be better for you personally to say anything right now, or you can just like make a joke and move on. People have to handle things the way that they need to handle them in the moment. And that's, you know, it can look a lot of different ways. Uh, if it's your coworker, you can maybe be a little bit more biting in your, in your critique if it's not your boss, if there's not that same power dynamic, but there might be other things at issue there too. Either way, a documentation is always really important. So you know, document, document, document. Whoever's saying it, whether it's your boss, whether it's a coworker, whether it's someone who works in a particular establishment that you go to a lot, any of those things, like if you can document it, then you can make sure that you you can both show that there's some sort of repeatable offense um, and also like have some sort of evidence if this were to come up somewhere in the future. So those are a couple of different things to consider. That's not everything. Obviously, there are all kinds of different things. Like it could be that maybe the power dynamic is that that person could actually injure you or hurt you. So there's lots of lots of issues there. That's just a few of them. So that, those are some other calculations you have to think about. The other is, is this person actually worth your time? Like, are you super busy? Do you have the time to deal with this person right now? Do you have the capacity to deal with this person right now? Are you tired? Are you like otherwise upset about something else? If you don't feel like this is the time to get into it, then don't don't beat yourself up about it. You don't need to worry about it. Just move on with your day, ignore it, and that's fine. Another thing is to think about, like as I mentioned, like will your comments, like if this is a person who is saying this stuff and they don't know what they said, they didn't mean to say anything bad or offensive, you know, they might be somebody who would be willing to change their behavior. 
Um, but also thinking about like, will your comments actually cause this person to change their behavior in some way, if that's your intention? Um, because if it's not, then you have to think about like, you know, is it more about like you getting out, just being pissed and that has value in it as well? Um, or are you actually trying to change this behavior? If you want to change the behavior and you don't think this person's behavior is going to change, then maybe you don't want to spend time on it and that's fine. Um, so depending on what they say, you can actually just name what they say, right? And this is something that a lot of folks that talk about like street harassment mention a lot because people, I think, oftentimes get uh, confused about how to respond in those situations too. And I would say really in any of these situations, like there are certain places where you can guess that something bad might happen and have a comeback ready, uh, something snappy, you know? Uh, but a lot of the times you don't know that it's going to happen because these people are really manipulative and you don't know what to say. And that's, that's fine. So oftentimes though, people say like just naming what they did saying that, you know, like you said this thing that is sexist, uh, it's bad. Don't do it. You know, like naming it in some way, um, it's not okay is enough. And, you know, maybe they didn't know if they didn't know because everybody else they know makes comments like that, then now they know. Uh, and they might, you know, question it a little bit or have some issue, but like, you know what, at least they've heard it from somebody now and that's great. So, um, if you can also follow up, if there's some sort of, you know, sexist, racist, homophobic comment, you can just say you don't appreciate it. Um, and you can also follow up and say, you're going to tell their boss if you're like, you know, a customer or something like that. Uh, or you can just call and tell their boss later. You don't even need to tell them. You know, and if you live in a small town without a lot of options, this might mean that you don't have access to this space or business anymore. And as I would mentioned, that's something to consider in this situation as well. So, you know, how is this going to affect you in the future? Are you willing to, you know, deal with what that impact might be? And if you are, great. If you're not, that's fine, too. You just need to do what works for you. If the person making the comments is a customer and they're creating a hostile work environment and this is at your workplace, your boss is required to make accommodations so you don't have to deal with it. They're required to do that. So uh, otherwise, you can ask your boss uh, the expectations around how to respond in these situations. So especially if you work in the public, there should be training to help you deal with that. Like that's just something they should have like policies around anyway. And, you know, obviously it's good to have good policies. So that's something. But, you know, you should know at least know what those policies are so that, you know, you know, you're responding in line with whatever your boss wants you to. Um, so you don't get in trouble unless you don't care or, you know, don't, you don't care about the job or whatever or, you know, want to push back in some way. Then that is something to consider, too. So if you if you think that the person will actually listen to you, you could even point them to some books or resources that you think might be helpful. Um, and if you have questions about ideas for those, we can talk about that in another episode. But that's if you think the person's going to listen and there are some people who really just want more information, um, that's great. That's a great opportunity. It's good that you brought it up. Um, and another thing is like you don't always have to be the person to confront someone. This is where bystander intervention comes in. Hopefully you can get someone else to have your back. Like if you're going somewhere and you know that there's a possibility that somebody's going to say something terrible, then you can, you know, say like, hey, cis white male friend, you know, maybe you can you can come and help with this. You know, there's there's ways that you can get someone to back you up. So so just something to think about. Lots of things to consider. And, I, you know, if you're doing that, like mental calculation, doot, 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 you know, there's all of these things and it's a lot. And so nobody should feel like you have to make the absolute correct right decision in that exact moment, as I was mentioning. So. Uh, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. And we're all doing this all the time. So so don't get stressed about it. I mean, get stressed about it because it's stressful. But, you know, don't beat yourself up if you don't feel like you responded the, the exact correct way immediately. So um, what do you do when someone makes comments like this to you? I would love to hear if people have like really great like go to responses or things that they tend to do when people make comments to them. Uh, if you have a good response, or if you have a question about gender music or music gear that you want answered, you can send me an email at midriffpodcast at gmail.com and I'll answer it. Or I'll do my best to answer it or find someone else to answer it for you. Um, and it maybe will even feature it on the podcast. So if you haven't done so, I also want to once again give a quick plug for uh, my gender and music gear experiences survey. If you fill that out, you can get entered into a raffle 
There will be a link for that in the show notes. And upcoming on the podcast, we have Marissa Paternoster from Screaming Females, Emily Harris from the Get Offset podcast, seminal punk musician Alice Begg, Reba Mitchell from House Red, and Julie Robbins from Earthquaker Devices. So subscribe to keep up with all of this action. Thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate it. Thank you.